Hey there! Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Food Factor Podcast. I am Stephanie Mahachek, board-certified clinical nutritionist, certified nutrition specialist, and I am wanting to talk to all of you today about finding balance with our food and our habits. So habits are one of the things that I absolutely love talking about, so there will definitely be more episodes in the future on setting habits, um, erasing habits, and and everything habit, because everything is a habit, as we'll talk about today. Everything is a habit, uh, and and habits are all changeable. So um, this, this topic of finding the balance with food habits actually came about because so many people ask me how they should eat. What food should they eat? What food should they avoid? Should they count calories? Should they count carbs? Should they be looking at macros? Should they follow keto? Should they do paleo? It's so frustrating, right? Like everyone needs to just stop shooting themselves. And let's just focus on a few kind of basic things. So today, what we're going to do is I'm going to break down three areas that are vital for everyone to learn if they want to align their nutrition and their wellness with their health goals. So I want to share briefly just the level of frustration that I have with diet culture and the diet industry. Um, You'll see images all over social media that are kind of designed to be like a self-degrading thing. Like they, many of them are meant to be funny, but when you are constantly bombarded with things and images that are microaggressions against your self-esteem and your eating habits, we come to think of them as normal. So these are the things that say, like the memes that'll say, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels and dear stomach, you're bored, not hungry, shut up. Um, and, and need motivation to lose weight, just eat in front of a mirror naked. You know, some of those ones are just cringy to me because they are doing so much harm to your inner self. And your inner self is what drives your beliefs and your thoughts and your habits and your patterns and your actions. So why are we hurting our inner beliefs? We need to, we need to stop with some of these images and and sharing them and spreading them around because they are going to be hurting somebody eventually. You know, I think of this with my own, I have three out of four of my kids are girls. So we're very mindful of the type of language we use around the house and the type of images that they see. But obviously, you know, they're at school, you can't prevent them from seeing some of these things, but you can, you can teach them self-esteem and you can teach them what healthy truly means and you can help them find the balance just like we're here talking about today. So just totally an aside. Um, But many people think that they can't trust themselves with making the right food choices. Somewhere along the way, we were taught that we need to live by impossible standards. We need to shape our body into a size that it's possibly not meant to be. And if our body is hungry at a time that isn't normal, then it's our mission to ignore it. And if we do, we win. And if we don't, we have no control or self uh, or, or motivation. Um, but when I was in high school, like many other girls, I started using food as a way to kind of express control over my surroundings. I mean, many kids do this, especially teenagers. Um, and of course this was back in the nineties. So it was the peak of the low fat, no fat baloney nonsense. You know, it was, it was just looking back at that decade. I just, I, I don't know how any of us survived, but I once went an entire month 
eating less fat in total than I do now in a day. So that kind of gives you the, the an inside look at kind of the level of things in the media that were being shown and, and low fat is good and fat makes you fat and all of that. So I thought I was in control of my body at the time. I thought I was winning at the diet game, but do you know what I didn't realize were that my hormones were a mess. My skin was horrible. My energy was in the toilet. You know, my, my body physically hurt. My mood was erratic. And worst of all, I created some severe vitamin deficiencies in myself, which have lasting effects all from doing what I was being told by the diet industry and and media at the time. Granted, we didn't have social media back in the nineties, but we had media, we had magazines, we had movies, we had that type of imagery and, and they were all teaching you to restrict, and, and that was the best way. So now, as a mother of four, it's extremely important to me to raise my kids to trust their hunger and their body and have a healthy relationship with food, which anyone can have, and that's part of what we're going to be talking about. So when anyone comes to me and they want to lose weight for whatever reason, whether it's health or vanity or increased energy or whatever, usually the first thing they think of is, I need to restrict. You know, we've been ingrained to think this works. This doesn't work. We can all kind of, can we agree now that this really doesn't work? I mean, I think on all, on some level, we all kind of know that this doesn't work. We are biologically designed not to function well on reduced nutrition, but we've all been there. You wake up and you feel bloated or you you feel puffy and you think, I need to cut out sugar today, or I'm only eating veggies and water today, or absolutely no dessert for me. But where did this story come from? When you look at it from our body's point of view, it doesn't know the difference from voluntary food restriction versus food scarcity, like you would see in like a famine or something. Regardless, its main goal is survival. It will absolutely do everything it possibly can to survive, including reducing or eliminating certain bodily functions, some of which are needed to reduce weight in the first place. So when you restrict, you will notice your energy levels decrease, your metabolism will slow down, you will have evidence of nutritional deficiencies, hormone dysfunction happens, digestive changes happen. All of this is not by accident. This is your body trying to survive. As we'll talk about in a little bit, we, we need to look at food for what it is. It's building blocks for each and every part of our body. And when I talk about this, I always have someone say, but I'm doing intermittent fasting and it's the only thing that's helped me lose weight. And to be honest, it does work for some people in the short term, but it is definitely not right for everybody. Fasting has been around, of course, for centuries. It serves many purposes, both spiritually, religiously, and sometimes nutritionally. But if your body is so bombarded by toxins and things that make it sensitive or inflamed, or if you have a certain illness or fighting a virus that your body needs full energy to do, then sometimes fasting when done right can be useful. I mean, if it it naturally happens, if you're coming down with a virus or a cold, your appetite lowers. So that's your body naturally reserving its, its energy to fight the infection. Rarely is it supposed to be used long-term, especially for weight loss. So let's talk more about the importance of food. So if you think of a crumbling house, you know, we've all driven in like rural areas or or by certain houses that look like they are two seconds away from imploding on themselves. But you can kind of get an image of that in your mind. Maybe the roof is kind of 
bowing inwards and or or the windows are all busted out or you know it's looking like a rundown house um you can kind of associate that with if you imagine that is your body right if you if you if you're looking like that you're probably feeling like crap <laughs> or you're you're feeling like you're demolished and and if that's the case you absolutely have to look at food for what it is as building blocks so if you come in if you're going to go restore that house every single board every single you know nail or bolt or what have you is important and all of those are nutrients so every single health issue, no matter what it is, has a connection to nutrition. Every body system, every hormone, every neurotransmitter, every cell in our body all need nutrients to function. And where do we get nutrients? Our food. There are a select few nutrients that our body can make on, on its own, but many of the nutrients we need, we need to physically consume. Not giving your body the array of nutrients it needs is like giving a carpenter a bunch of popsicle sticks to build a mansion or to restore that crumbling house. It's not the right tools and the house will eventually crumble. So I want to give some examples of this, a little pop quiz, if you will. What do high blood pressure, asthma, eczema, migraines, and depression all have in common? They are all rooted in inflammation. Inflammation is pretty much the cause or leads to the cause of most major diseases. So let's, let's ask ourselves, why is our body inflamed? Most likely either environmental toxins, medications, or our food choices, right? Inflammation is an immune response. The immune system identifies something as a threat, so it releases the army of, and inflammation is the result. It's used as a way for the body to protect itself. It can also be used as information for you to be able to identify what is the source of the inflammation so that you can make different choices. So in terms of choices, when it comes to food, let's talk about some basics in terms of nutrition. There is a reason you crave what you crave. Whether it's salty or sugary or something else, there is always a reason. So salty cravings, for example, can happen when there are adrenal issues or electrolyte imbalances. So take note of when you start craving salty things. Sugary cravings can happen when the blood sugar or glucose isn't regulated. Both of them can also have an emotional or a habit part of the craving that is learned, which we will be talking about, of course, in a second. But what we as humans do is personalize the craving. We attach an emotion to the craving. I have no willpower. I have a sweet tooth. I'm addicted to sugar, which usually follows with feelings of guilt and shame or the need to restrict. What we need to be doing is understanding the root of the food craving because this can tell you so much. Since nutrition is so personal and variable, it's hard to give advice that's perfect for everyone. So I'm just going to go over a few things to consider and you can tweak it for your own needs or the needs of your family. Number one, focus on balancing your blood sugar. This can be done by making sure you have a protein, a fat, and a carb or a fiber with each meal or snack. By doing this, it helps to slow down the absorption of the glucose into your bloodstream and avoids any spikes and crashes. When we crash, we crave. That can kind of be a mantra. When we crash, we crave. Aim to get 
two out of the three or ultimately all three macros with each meal. Macros, remember, are protein, fats, and carbs. No, you don't need to know percentages. You don't have to calculate anything. Just aim to get a source of two out of the three or ultimately three of those. So number two, make sure you are getting enough fluids, preferably water. <laughs> Pay attention to your thirst cues and other signs of dehydration. If you, like, like if you have dry skin, um, constipation and fatigue are all signs of dehydration. And number three, keep an eye on your sugar and hidden sugar intake. This can be tricky because sugar is in almost everything or at least a lot of things nowadays. And sugar and artificial sweeteners can cause so many health issues, the number one being inflammation, also gut distress, high blood pressure, and cravings. It's one of the leading sources of inflammatory substances in our diet. I actually have a handout that I'll attach into the show notes that talks about over 100 different names for sugar that are hidden on the label. And um, I'll share that again in the show notes. You can click on that. Um, and actually, I made that about a year or so ago, and it has over 120, I believe, different names that you can see that are another way of saying sugar. Um, and actually, a recent uh, poll of that looks like there's actually over 220 now. So even that's outdated because food manufacturers keep coming out with new forms of sugar, and I can't keep up. So anyways, I didn't have enough space on my form, but... Uh, regardless, I will link that in the show notes. You can click on that and use that and, and just take a look to see how many forms of sugar you have on a typical day. Um, also, you can look to see like, what in the world is that ingredient? You can kind of cross check it. Oh, it's actually a sweetener. Um, okay. So number four, take a look at your patterns right now. You are where you are based on what you're currently doing. And sometimes we can think deeply. It's kind of like a philosophical question. You're at where you're at right now based on everything you've done up until now. So that is, it can be a very powerful thing to do to look to see what are the habits that you are doing right now as related to nutrition and food that are leading you to the outcomes that you are wanting to improve right now. So with that being said, all habits, all the things that you're doing right now are a habit. Um, habits are learned and everything is a habit. So if you think about, I actually get really giddy when I'm working with someone and, I, and we're talking about discovering habits and building new patterns. Uh, but the thing I want everyone to take away is Habits are learned and everything is a habit. Everything is learned and everything is a habit. So for example, brushing your teeth, that's a learned habit. Making coffee first thing in the morning, that's a learned habit. Having a dessert after dinner, learned habit. Eating as a response to stress, learned habit. Learned coping skill, but habit. Eating a veggie with every meal, also a learned habit. So they can be positive too, right? They're always, they don't always have to be negative. Drinking a soda or caffeinated drink at 3 p.m., that is, a, that is a response and that is a habit. Using food as a reward, also a learned habit. So habits are learned and everything is a habit. I'm going to repeat that over and over again, just so you, you can kind of let that sink in. We walk around the majority of the day on autopilot based on our unconscious habits. Everything you do from when you wake up to when you go to bed is a response to a habit. You've learned it all and what you learn if, you, if it doesn't serve you, you can learn something else in its place. If it's not a helpful habit, you can learn something else to take over instead. 
So to learn or form a new habit, there's something I want to kind of go over quickly because it was really um, inspirational for me. It's called the Fogg Behavior Model, and that's created by Dr. B.J. Fogg, who's a behavior researcher out of Stanford. He's actually the author of that book, Tiny Habits, which I highly recommend if never, if you haven't picked it up yet or you haven't read it. It's great. It's phenomenal. It talks about a lot of the things that I'm about to talk about. So go get a copy of Tiny Habits by B.J. Fogg. Um, so I'm going to breeze kind of over this just to bring it to context. But just so you know, each of these components have like six to eight subcomponents that can be further broken down. Uh, and this can actually apply to any behavior you want to add in or remove. So oh, a few components that you need to include when you're trying to change a habit is motivation, ability, and trigger or some sort of prompt. So you have to have the motivation to want to change something. Um, and this does tie into a reward system. So it, it, there's so much to talk about in terms of like a reward and motivation and what's motivating you to do the habit and all of that. So much so that I'll probably do a whole extra episode on that. Um, but just know that motivation doesn't always mean like, I'm going to lose weight for a wedding. So I look great. It has to go deeper with that. And you have to associate it with a feeling. So if, if you're goal is to, you know, eat more vegetables to lower your inflammation or whatever, what is lowering your information, inflammation going to feel like? What do you associate the feeling when you're at your goal? You're, you're eating all the veggies every day. You're getting a good amount in or what have you, your inflammation is down. What does that feel like? What do you imagine that that looks like? All of, all of that is tied to your motivation. If you're not motivated to make a change, it's going to be a lot harder for that change to last. On the flip side of that, and this is where it will go over a whole nother episode probably about this, is sometimes we're motivated not to change. So you always have to kind of think of that. This could look like your late night ice cream habit that you've had for 10 years, you are getting some sort of reward for doing that. Maybe it's that dopamine of when the sugar hits your system, you get a dopamine hit. Maybe it's just you have enjoyed this. It's a comfort for you. It it doesn't have to make sense logically on why you want to stay with a habit, but you have to look at what are you getting from it. And sometimes that's a good journaling prompt is what is keeping me doing the habit that I want to change. So motivation is a big topic. And again, we'll go over that in future episodes because it's fascinating. Um, next, you have to have the ability to make the new habit happen. So if you are like, I'm going to go run the Boston Marathon, but you don't even have running shoes, you don't have the, necessarily the ability to do that. So you have to make it as easy as possible for you to reach your goal. So any barriers that could possibly get in the way of whatever your goal is, you need to reduce them as best you can. So it makes the ability to do the new habit a lot easier. You want to remove all those barriers. So any friction or any anything that comes up is not going to be there. And then uh, the last thing is you have to have something that triggers or reminds you to do the new habit. So like I said in the beginning, we are all on autopilot most of the time. Like I know I'm not the only one who all of a sudden was like, holy crap, how did I get to this street when I was driving? Like I am on autopilot. Um, so we're on autopilot when we're in the kitchen and when we're at home and when we're in the office and when we're wherever we are, we are on autopilot a lot. So to try and 
and engage in a new habit takes extra brain power. So we need to remind ourselves to do the new habit. If your new goal is to walk at lunchtime on your lunch break, it's if it's not part of your current autopilot routine, you're going to need something to remind you. So maybe that looks like a pop-up on your Outlook calendar to remind you go for a walk or maybe a, a thing on your phone, an alarm that goes off on your phone, or maybe you bring your walking shoes and put them on your desk, or maybe you put post-it notes everywhere to remind you. Any and all things that will remind you to do the new habit are going to be beneficial. There's no such thing as having too many reminders, even if you have like 500 sticky notes on your on your desk or something like that. Especially in the beginning of forming a new habit, you have to remind yourself, you have to break that autopilot uh, zone or mode so that you'll remember to do the new habit. And the very most important thing that I always like to add in, the key, if you will, to lasting habit change is repetition. You cannot form a new habit by just doing something once. You cannot. Rarely does this work. Having a reward is also important. So reinforcing a behavior with a reward and and with repetition is what makes a habit stick. And I'm not talking about a reward like, you know, something food related or whatever. It does not have to be that. It could be something completely different than food. No matter if the habit is something that you label as bad or something you label as good, all of these principles that we just went over still apply. For example, if you have that habit of watching TV from 8 to 10 p.m. while eating chips, this likely didn't just happen once. It is now a routine and the reward is comfort or relaxation or time with your family. Sometimes that reward is not changing the habit. So keep that in mind. I know I said that already, but I wanted to repeat it again. Sometimes the reward is not changing. Staying in a habit that doesn't serve you is easier on our brains than changing it. And that is the reward for our brains. It doesn't have to make sense logically. That is what our subconscious brain is is wired to do, is keep things as easy as possible on autopilot for survival purposes. When you are thinking about forming a new habit, think about all those elements to help create that lasting change. So I hope this was helpful. There's obviously a whole lot more to go over when it comes to habits and food and food-related habits and forming new habits and removing habits and rewiring our brains to uh, incorporate new autopilot habits. And that's another thing I wanted to quick go over is we absolutely, just because you're on autopilot doesn't mean that that can't change. It's changed before, if you think about it. You're a grown-up now, most likely. Most of the people listening to this are probably grown-ups. Is your autopilot the same as when you were five? No, absolutely not. It changes. We can change it. It is absolutely possible to restructure our autopilot settings and our foundational habits, especially related to food. We can rewire them and reform them to whatever you want. If you want to eat healthier you can eat healthier. We can form those new habits. It's absolutely possible. It may be challenging. And some of those autopilot habits or foundational habits go pretty deep, sometimes generational deep. And that's, that's, you know, the fight that you're up against, but it is not impossible. You absolutely can change them. And uh, I I want you to know that it's not just something that you uh, have to be stuck with. You know, you can always change your habits. Everything is possible. You can change, you can change your habits. 
Um, now, this is the type of thing that I will be going even deeper into in the upcoming Cleanish Eating program. So the Cleanish Eating program is a six-week guided step-by-step program for foundational food habit rewiring. So that's, I know that's kind of a mouthful, but that is what we are focusing on. We are taking six weeks to do two things. One, to get you on a cleaner path of eating. Notice it's called clean-ish because if you've ever known me, I kind of do everything a little bit half-assed. <laughs> like It's just like when I'm baking or when I'm cooking something, I'm like, eh, that looks about right. I don't measure anything. So everything's an ish in my world. It's like, yeah, it's about a cup-ish or two. Um, so that is the the type of eating method that I have adopted and I, I practice every day is you do not have to be perfect. There's no th- there's no reason to feel guilty about certain things. And, and you don't, if you, if you don't get a certain amount of calories or you go over calories or whatever, this is the type of stuff that we're that I'm working so hard to try and correct in our society is diet, the diet culture mentality. So the cleanish eating program on one side we are doing a whole lot of education around how to how to cook with whole foods, how to eat clean the majority of the time, how to remove some of the junky ingredients out of the foods that we have regularly, how to prepare your meals for you or your family or whoever you're cooking for in a way that is not going to take up a ton of time. And it's, it's They're all going to be healthy meals that our bodies are going to get those building blocks that we need. So that is one part of the, the cleanish eating program. The other part is the mindset piece, the piece of the puzzle that is, is so important that most diets and most programs miss. They are missing the foundational habits that you're building upon those autopilot habits. So we go through six weeks of work, inner work on how to correct and how to, I don't even want to say correct because there's nothing wrong with your habits. They're just what has formed right now. So, but these are the ones that if you want to change certain things, these are the ones that we're going to tackle and you're going to uh, enforce new habits and go through and walk through the stages of how to uh, implement new habits. So in the show notes, I will post the link to sign up for the waiting list. So this program is uh, the doors open uh, December 6th, I believe. So um, it's there's a waiting list right now. And if you join the waiting list, you actually get a discount on the program, which is nice. So just for simply being on the waiting list, you know, so, um, so sign up for the waiting list. I'd be happy to, uh, talk further. If you guys have any questions specifically on the clean to sheeting program, feel free to email me or send them my way. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this was helpful. If you found value in this, please pass it on to somebody who maybe needs to hear this, or if they're stuck in diet culture, um, tell them they don't need to be. It's a miserable place to be in that diet culture world. It's so much better to be on the outside and, and be comfortable with your food choices and learn how to listen to your body. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I hope everyone has a fantastic day and please reach out if you have any questions or if you need support. Thank you.